all the time, every day, throughout the year. This is a time where it's heightened because we take a moment to remember what Jesus did. And we're in the middle of a series right now. We just began last week called The Man Beyond the Cross. Because uh, what Jesus did on the cross, that wasn't just an event. Uh, that was the beginning. You know, a lot of people see what Jesus did on the cross as a finish line. We've made it. We've, we've, we've gotten there. But really what he was doing was just getting us started. It was just getting us moving in the right direction. You know, Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. Anyone remember that? He said, it is finished. It is finished. And because of that, because of what was finished on the cross, something new was being started within us. You know, I, I heard someone say just this past week that um, that statement that he made, it is finished. That was actually a, a military term that the Romans used. Uh, that, that sentence, that phrase was, was more of a military term that the Romans used at that time. Uh, when they would oversee a battle and they would see that they were beginning to gain the victory, like there was no turning back, we've got this thing. And they would make a cry similar to what Jesus said on that cross, and he said, it is finished. It is finished not in disaster, but it is finished in victory. And see, when a military uh, uh, battle was won, when the war was over, uh, even though the soldiers had completed victory, they knew that we're actually just getting ready to take over a new nation. There's something that's being started as a result of something that's being finished. And so when Jesus made that statement, it is finished, uh, he was turning to us in turn and saying, it's just beginning. It's just getting started. And so we're looking at the man beyond the cross because I don't want to relegate Jesus to just a man that came and died on a cross and doesn't live here anymore. And, uh, you know, he saved us, he's redeemed us. Uh, but what does that really mean? What is the progressive work of Jesus? I want to take a look at what Jesus is still doing in the earth today. I want to take a look at how Jesus is still operating in the earth today through his church and for his church and in his church. Amen? And last week we took a look at Jesus, the Word. We saw that in John chapter 1, uh, it says that in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we skip on down to verse 14, and it tells us that the word became flesh. So before Jesus was the man, Jesus, that walked the earth, that we've all come to know uh, and, and come to learn and, and come to uh, want to grow in knowledge in, he was the word of God. And how many of you know the Word of God is still in existence today? We can still put the Word to practice. We can still apply the Word. We can still speak the Word, and it's accomplishing things for us. And so we've, we've got to understand that Jesus is still operating in different roles in the earth today, and we've got to know that person. You know, it's one thing to know the man that walked the earth for 33 years. It's one thing to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read about all the 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 miracles and the signs and the wonders and the things that he said and, and the teaching that he gave and the parables that he told and, and then, you know, the assignment of going to the cross and defeating uh, Satan and defeating hell forever and then rising again on the third day. But there was a reason why he came back. There was a reason why he rose again. And so we've got to get to know 
that Jesus. We've got to get to know the man beyond the cross. And today, I want to take a look uh, at a role that Jesus is still operating in today, and that is Lord. He is the Lord. We're going to talk about the Lord today. Amen? Hallelujah. So go with me over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And uh, we're going to start in verse 8 this morning. This is uh, a verse that many of us are familiar with. In fact, most of us probably had this verse read to us or read this verse uh, when we first came into the kingdom. But Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 8 says this. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, see, that's where a lot of us keep Jesus, is we keep Jesus as the one that died on the cross and rose again. And if we believe in that event, if we believe in that occurrence, we're saved. That's salvation. But he keeps going here in verse 10, and he says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness... But how many of you know believing in your heart isn't enough? If it was, then that there would be a period there, but it's not. There's a comma. It says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession is made unto salvation. Now, when I preach on lordship, and, and I, I preach or teach on Jesus as Lord, uh, sometimes we get a little hung up here um, because we really don't have any idea of what a Lord is. We don't have any real idea, uh, especially in our nation. Uh, we're a democratic nation, and we don't have lords. Um, many of you have homes that you live in, and you own that home. And you have cars that you drive, and you own that car. And many of you have money in your bank account, and you own that money, right? That's, that's hard work, hard-earned money. You've spent all week at a place you don't like, waking up at a time you don't like, getting off later at a time that you don't like, and hanging around people that you don't like to earn that money. That's my money, right? That's my paycheck. This is the reason why I go. Every two weeks when I see that direct deposit show up, when they hand me that paper, when they hand me that stub, and those dollars on there, that's my stuff, right? You, you, you have stuff in your house, that's yours. Uh, for parents in this room, you have children, and those are your children, right? You gave birth to them, you brought them in the world, you can take them out, right? Uh, those are your kids, those are your children. We live in, 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 in a society, in a nation that likes to own stuff. Likes to own stuff. And so we don't properly understand the concept of lordship. And, and, and preaching lordship in the United States of America is difficult. Uh, but you have to remember that you're of a different nation. Jesus said that, or the word says that he has made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Revelation says that we are a nation of people unto our God. We are a nation, a people of the kingdom of God. And when I say kingdom of God, I mean kingdom. I mean a government system. 
God is operating a government system. He's not operating a, 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 a religion, right? God's not operating a religion. God's not operating a denomination. God, God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, all right, you guys are Christians now. You're, you're a religious belief system. He didn't put them in the garden and said, uh, you know, I'm going to make some Pentecostals. I'm going to make some Assemblies of God. I'm going to make some Baptists. I'm going to have some Presbyterians over here. That, that's all man-made stuff. God did not create religion. God did not create belief systems. God did not create, uh, uh, you know, this religious mindset that we're sucked up into today. He created a government. God is a, a, God is a king. Every time I make this statement, you know, we, we struggle, but uh, the answer for all of mankind, the answer for all the issues in the world today is government. And uh, the more and more we go on and as every year passes and as every president comes in and as more decisions are made, uh, you know, that becomes less easier to, to believe. But God established a government system. It's called the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus came back to do. Jesus came back to restore a government back to man. And if we would properly apply ourselves in that government system, we'll be taken care of. And so a Lord is is not a position or a role that many of us come to know, uh, know in our lifetime. The closest thing that I can relate a Lord to uh, would be a landlord. Has anyone ever rented, rented a home? It did not belong to you. Your name, your name was not on the title or the deed. It was, it did not belong to you. You did not have ownership, right? So you have someone that owns it, and they're called a what? They're called a landlord. Okay. This is the easiest way I can explain this. Uh, for, for our minds to wrap around this, because I want you to understand Jesus as your Lord. I want you to know what that means. I want you to know what that means. Because we, 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 I don't believe that we fully do, and I believe that our lives would reflect something different if we understood that Jesus is our Lord. A landlord is one that owns the home, but places it in someone else's care. Did you catch that? A landlord is one that owns the home, but places that home in somebody else's care. And it's their control and their responsibility to maintain the home. You don't own it, but you control it. You don't own it. But you control it. We'll say it one more time. You don't own it. It does not belong to you. You can't just decide, you know what, I don't like this house anymore. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to buy something different. Right? You don't get that. You don't get to make that decision. Now, if you own the home, then you get to make that decision. You get to make, you get to make the decisions of what is done with the object. But when you are just renting, not owning, you have a landlord that gets to make those decisions. But it's in your responsibility. That means uh, you don't have to call the landlord every time uh, you know, you, you, you want to turn the thermostat down. Right? You live there. 
You make those decisions. It's cold in here. I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to turn it up because I'm freezing. It's hot in here, so I'm going to turn it down. Uh, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, you, you, you can even pick what you want to paint it. A lot of landlords will give you the opportunity to pick how you want to paint it. And, 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 and some of them will even go a little further and say, hey, if there's any modifications you want to make to the home, uh, you know, you just run it by me. But, you know, you can do that. Anybody ever lived in that home where you went in and you actually did things to it as if you owned it, but you did it? But you don't have to call them and say, hey, uh, there's this room in the back. Um, I, I, I know that it was, you know, it, it kind of looks like an office, but can I use it as a bedroom? You don't, you don't have to call them and, make, and, and ask them that. You're in control. It's your responsibility. Okay? Are we catching that? So that is the, the closest relation that I can give you for a Lord. And where we struggle with lordship and where we struggle with Jesus as our Lord is understanding that if I make Jesus my Lord, I own nothing. And that's where it gets us. That's where we get pulled. That's where we get stretched is if I make Jesus the Lord of my life, then I don't own it. I don't own my house. I don't own my things. I don't own my own life. And this is what I want to point out to you. But I want to, I want to show you today that making Jesus the Lord of your life is the greatest decision you can ever make in your life. That giving up ownership of your life and the decisions that, you, that we make on a daily basis can be the greatest thing you ever do in your life. And the benefits that are reaped by making Jesus the Lord of your life far surpass you ever being in control. Now, I want you to understand that making Jesus the Lord of, of your life is not giving him control and, and living by force. See, God is a God of love. And the response that he's looking from his people for is love. And love is never in operation by force. Love is always in operation by choice. You do this not because you have to, because you want to, because you get to. Right? That's the way God designed man. If God wanted to create man that, in, 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 in a way that he had to do what, he, what God told him to do, there would have never been a, a tree in the middle of the garden that gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to disobey God. You just do what I tell you to do. And there's no opportunity. But how many of you know there was the opportunity for man's will and man's decision making to come into play? There's a tree that shows up and now we are faced with the decision, do I want that more than I want to live for God? And so lordship is not a matter of control. It's a matter of ownership. God isn't trying to control you, but he does want to own you. God wants to own you. And so when we talk about lordship, we've got to understand these things. Verse 9, going back up to Romans chapter 10, I want to read it again. Verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth. Now, I want everyone to say that with your mouth. Say the word confess. 
confess. Confess means something different than you and I think it means. Obviously, when we say confess, it means to say something. It means to utter words out of your mouth. But that word confess actually means something deeper. The actual translation in the Greek means this, to make a binding contract. It's literally what it means. If you confess with your mouth, if you make a binding contract with your mouth. Now, there's not very many people in this room that will enter into a contract solely based on verbal agreement. In, th- in this day and age, in, in our lives today, when we say stuff, usually doesn't hold the same weight. That's why we have document upon document upon document, and we have to have signature after signature. After. Could you imagine uh, going to the bank wanting to buy a home? You're wanting to purchase a home, and it, all they have you do is just have verbal agreements back and forth on what you're going to pay and how long you're going to take to pay it and what the interest Could you imagine if they got rid of all the documents? Could you imagine if you went in there and just sat down with, with the banker or with a mortgage lender and, and said, we're looking for a home. Okay, how much uh, are you looking to buy? Okay, this is how much we're looking to buy. This is what we want our house payment to be. And they say, okay, that sounds good. Let's go look at some properties. And then uh, you look at the house and say, okay, uh, you know, how much you want to put down. Okay, I'll put that much down. And, and, and do the whole process and never have to sign your name once, never have to look at a piece of paper, never have to have this big old thick stack of documents that have to be sent off uh, to the bank and it has to be approved and all this stuff. And you got to have those little stickies that go on the side to tell you where to sign. And you have to initial here and sign. Could you imagine doing that with a car, going to the dealership, and you say, I like this car out here, uh, and this is how much I'll pay you. Uh, and, and then you drive off the property with it. You don't sign anything. And then they just believe that if you say you're going to pay them $400 a month for that car, you're going to pay $400 a month for the car. And that's it. No, that's unheard of. <laughs> that is unheard of. It's been so long. It has been so long since we had those days. It has been so long, and we're only moving, and now we're moving into uh, positions that even when we do sign, we still want out of the contract. Even when we do put our name on the paper, we're still finding ways to get out. Not even, that's not even good enough anymore. We can take it to court, or we can get, find some kind of loophole or something. That's why there's so much fine print, Right? That's why there's so many things in there that you can't even read. You don't have enough time in your life to read all that stuff. But somewhere they have blocked out a loophole that you could find to get out of the contract. And Jesus, or the Word, says here that all we have to do is confess Jesus as our Lord. And we have Americanized that. We've Americanized the fact that if I confess Jesus as my Lord, that doesn't really mean that he is Lord of my life. But God's translation and our translation are two different translations. And we as a people cannot go in and redefine what God meant when he made a statement. I'm so tired of the church. I'm so tired of 
uh, of people trying to redefine what God said. You cannot redefine marriage. We don't have that right. You don't get the opportunity to go into the Bible and redefine what he's already defined. You don't get that right. God is God. And when he lays out his word and he lays out his law, you follow what he says knowing that he's taking care of you. And so he says here, if you confess with your mouth. I have to explain the confession side because the statement that comes, that comes next is the Lord Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Guys, I want you to know today, Savior is what he did. But Lord is who he is. Let's say it again. Savior is what he did. But Lord is who he is. We're talking about the man beyond the cross. We're talking what comes after Easter. What comes after Resurrection Sunday. What comes after the event when Jesus dies on the cross. And we celebrate that and we love that and we honor that and we have a whole holiday after that. And we thank God for what he did. We thank God for the price that was paid. But what are we believing really took place on the cross? Are we believing in a man that removed our past, removed our sins, made us new so that we could continue living the way that we lived before? No, I'm talking about what Jesus did. That changed the way you live forever. And here Paul states that if we confess the Lord Jesus, that we enter a binding agreement, binding contract, that Jesus is now my Lord. Now Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord whether you make him Lord or not. Jesus is Lord whether you make him or not. But he says here, if you confess with your mouth, if you enter an agreement by saying Jesus is Lord. I mean, isn't that what we pray? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, but I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to remove my past, to remove my sins. And so I now make Jesus the Lord of my life. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe in him as salvation. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. We make that confession. We make that agreement. We make that pact. But we don't understand what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Paul says over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he kind of explains this a little bit. Guys, if we get a better understanding of what it means to make Jesus the Lord of our life, if we understand how he's still in operation in our lives today, how he's still working in our lives today, you would see all the issues, all the problems, that we have in our lives 
how many, how much of that would subside and be different as a result of making Jesus the Lord of my life? Living every day knowing that Jesus is the Lord of my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Do you not know? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Which temple you are? If you skip on down um, to verse 23, he says this, And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. You are Christ. What's he saying? You belong to Jesus. Come on, we have songs like this. I belong to Jesus. You know, we've heard it before. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. But guys, I want to tell you something today. God, Jesus doesn't just want to live in you. He wants to live through you. I have Jesus in my heart. I have Jesus in my heart. Jesus lives in me. Well, he wants to do more than just live inside of you. God wants what takes place on the inside to show up on the outside. What he did for my life on the inside, when he made me new, he made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When he did that, he, did never, he never intended for that to stay on the inside. He wanted that to show up on the outside. And so Jesus doesn't want to just live in you. Jesus wants to live through you. By making Jesus the Lord of my life, I'm giving him access to me and all of me. And I'm giving him access to my stuff and all of my stuff and saying, use it for your benefit. Use it for your glory now. You have become a vessel, a temple of the living God. This is how Jesus still wants to operate in his church today. See, we love to believe that Jesus was Savior. We, we love the fact that he came and he died on the cross for our sins. We love to believe uh, that, you know, uh, he's removed our sins, he's removed our past. But how does Jesus continue working in the life of a believer? Did the work stop at the cross? Did the work stop when he ascended into heaven and when he left earth forever? No, I'm telling you today that Jesus still desires to operate and work in and through his people, in and through his church. But he can't if he's not Lord. If Jesus is only your Savior and not your Lord, we're missing the continuing work. We're missing the progressive work of Jesus. Savior is what he did. Lord is who he is. We go over a few more chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You're not your own. 
verse 20, for you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Guys, you know the price was great. The sacrifice was great. I have a son, and I'll never, for the rest of my life, I will never have to know what it is to give up my son. I won't even have to go through that. And God gave up his only son. God gave up his only son so that he could redeem us, so that he could have us. And so right here it says, you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. That word right there, O-W-N, own. Yeah, it fights everything that our life is about. It fights everything this nation is about. It fights everything uh, that this country is about. That's the American dream. And God has just shattered the American dream right there in front of us. Now, guys, that does not mean he doesn't want you to have things. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't want you to have things. What do they say? It's, he doesn't mind you having things as long as the things don't have you. But he wants to be Lord. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. Now, what does this mean? What, what does that mean, Jesus is the Lord of my life? That means he has ownership. He has ownership. He has ownership of your life. That means you don't make decisions without him. You don't do things without him. We don't live our lives for ourselves any longer. We don't, we don't come up with our own purpose. We don't come up with our own reason for being. We don't come up with our own reason for why we have things. See, a Lord is a kingdom position. Lord is not even a religious term. Let's go ahead and get that out. It's not a spiritual term. Lords were individuals in a kingdom... Lords owned your stuff. They owned your stuff. And at any time, they could come in and they could say, so-and-so needs this. I need this to be placed over here in this person's possession. I need you to do this. I, I need you to do, this, to, to do that. Lords owned everything. They owned the individual and everything the individual owned. See, that's tough because you've worked all week for that paycheck. And you just got paid this past weekend. And then when we come in here and it says, now, God, uh, we want to give God, uh, we want to have an opportunity to give to God our tithe and our offering. And we're, first thing we think in our minds is, that's my money. I've worked hard for that money. How can I let that money go? I've worked for that. Why does God want my money? What, what, what's he going to do? He's got everything. He doesn't need my money. And when we come up with all the reasons why he wants our money and the, the, the first place we went wrong was thinking it was ours. It's not your money. It's not your kids. That one really hits home. 
They're not your kids. Those aren't your children. You don't, you don't, you don't earn the right. You don't have the right to decide what they're going to do with their lives, where they're going to go to school, and how you're going to raise them, what they ought to learn, and who they should be friends with. Not your kids. That house, not your house. Oh, we just paid it off. We just made the last payment. We, we own this home. It's not your home. It's not your cars. It's not your life. He bought you with a price. He's the Lord of your life. Now, again, because of our American mentality, we think that if somebody wants to come in and take our stuff, they, they just want to take it for the sake of taking it. They just, they just want to come in and, and, and just take it from us because they don't want us to have it. And that's not God at all. God wants you more blessed than you are today. <laughs> God wants you more blessed than you can even comprehend. I mean, if you, if you could literally see how blessed God wants you to be, uh, you wouldn't have any problem letting go of stuff. You wouldn't have any problem giving 10% of your paycheck if you could understand how much God really wants you to be able to have. In fact, you, uh, you, you would be trying to give all of it. You would be trying to live your life to where, God, I'm going to live my life to where I live off of everything else and I don't even have to live off my paycheck. I just give it to you. I just bless you. And what does that mean, give it to you? You give it to him by serving with it. By serving with it. See, if your life isn't serving God, if your things aren't serving God, then he's not Lord. You haven't made him Lord. That means when he tells you to go somewhere and talk to somebody, you go there and you talk to him. Because he's the Lord. He owns you. That doesn't mean you have to do it. It means you get to do it. Amen? Service in the kingdom of God is not done out of force. Service in the kingdom. You are not a slave in the kingdom. You are a servant in the kingdom. If you understood kingdom mentality, if you went back and studied how kingdoms operated, there was a difference between servants and slaves. Slaves didn't earn wages. Slaves didn't get to sleep in the best places. Slaves didn't get... Uh, the best of everything, but servants did. They lived right in the palace with the king. You wanted to be a servant for the king. You wanted to serve the king. You wanted to, you wanted to be someone that the king called upon to serve them and do things for them. And the king's the Lord. But here's the exciting part. Because he's your Lord, he wants to take care of because he's your Lord, he wants you to have everything you need. He's your Lord. He's asking for 10% because he wants to meet every need that you have. See, you got a credit card bill, it's $1,000, and you're trying to pay it off, and you're struggling with it. And he's saying, just give me 10% of your paycheck. And we're thinking, I need that 10% to pay it off. And he's saying, if you'll give me 10%, I'll take care of the whole thing. You won't even need to deal with it. 
This is how God works, guys. I have seen people in my life, I've seen them give away money. I've seen them give away cars. I've seen them help people buy homes. I've seen them give groceries. I've seen people that live so far beyond themselves that taking care of themselves is an afterthought. They get taken care of because they live their lives in a position to serve the king and to serve the Lord. And they know if God directs me to do this, I don't even have to think. Guys, there is a verse in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. If you don't know it, you need to write it down. You need to put it in front of you every single day of your life. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Let me define the word added for you. Let me just go ahead and tell you what that means. The word added means this. Given to without any work necessary. Now, see, we thank God for our jobs. I hope you do. You thank God for your jobs, and you especially thank God for the paycheck that comes. And when that payday comes, we're praising God, hands lifted in the air, singing hallelujah. The day before, we were like, come on, payday, come on, payday. Where you at, God? I need... I need, and then payday shows up, boom, there it is. God, you get all the glory. We thank you so much for this wonderful paycheck. And then God says this. I didn't have anything to do with it. You did that. You worked for that. I didn't add that. You've got the hours to show that you made that. I want to add. He wants to add without any effort. And so then he says, now give me 10% of that. And bring the offering into the storehouses and make sure that the church is taken care of. And I, in turn, will make sure you're taken care of. And so then we do this. We think paycheck minus 10%, minus a little extra because... He says, you robbed me not only in tithe, but in offering. And so we throw in the little extra, and then we're, we're, we're thinking, but then now I can't take care of this. And, and he's saying, yeah, I know. You're not supposed to. I'm taking care of this. Did I not tell you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. What are these things? Well, if you read those verses right before that, he says, here's what the Gentiles are seeking for. The Gentiles are concerned. What am I going to eat? Anybody ever thought that? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Anybody thought that? Where am I going to live? Anybody thought that? What house am I going to live in? What am I going to wear? Anybody ever thought that? I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but someone said that there are five needs that everybody on this planet thinks about and lives for. And I, I can't remember all of them, but what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where are we going to live? And what are we going to wear? Every single person, it doesn't matter how poor, it doesn't matter how rich, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what country, what nationality, what your past is, it doesn't matter. Everybody's seeking after those things. I've got to put clothes on my body. I've got to have a roof over my head. I've got to have food on my table, and I've got to have something to drink. 
And so Jesus goes right on down the list, and he says all those things that the world is seeking after, the world is living after, I will supply all those things for you if you'll take care of my kingdom. If you'll take care of my stuff, I'll take care of your stuff. But taking care of his stuff requires you to make him the Lord of your life. And making Jesus Lord is not just saying a prayer. Making Jesus Lord is not saying a prayer and turning around and living how I want. Making Jesus the Lord of my life means I give you full control. Everything I have belongs to you. If you ask, if you ask for 20, I give you 20. If you ask for 200, I'll give you 200. If you ask for the car, if you ask for the home, if you ask for the boat, I will give it to you. Because you're the Lord of my life. If you tell me to go here, I'll go. If you tell me to go there, I'll go. If you tell me to stay here, I'll stay. See, making Jesus the Lord of your life is not bondage. It's freedom. It's freedom. And one of the freedoms that we celebrate in this country is the freedom of choice. And God is saying, let me make the choice and just obey me. And he says, there's more freedom in that. But we want the choice. See, we don't even choose where we live. I've seen people get messed up in their lives because they leave based upon jobs or based upon incomes. Or, well, they gave me a raise at this place. Or, I don't like this place anymore. I'm going to come over here. Well, maybe God has you at a place for a certain period of time for a reason. And everything you don't like about it is everything he wants you to change about it. I remember one time uh, a family down in our church in, in in Florida, the uh, the husband, I guess, had an opportunity to uh, take a higher position in the same job, but it required him to move. And they were plugged into the church. They were serving. They were leaders at the church. And, and they, they threw it out on Facebook, said, uh, I've got this opportunity for this job, but it requires me to leave. What should I do? Well, you just opened up a can of worms, man. Facebook is not the place to go for that one. You can ask 10 different people the same question and get 10 different answers. Why? Because they're going to give you their personal experience for somebody that worked, for somebody that didn't. And then people are going to get emotional and say, no, we don't want you to leave. When maybe you do need to leave, but they're going to want you to stay because we're close to you. We don't want you to leave. We're buddies. The only person you need to go to with that question is God. You know why? Because he knows your future. He knows where you're going to be this time next year. He knows what's going to happen at this job. He knows what's going to happen at the next job. He knows what's going to happen in this position. He knows what's going to happen in the next position up. And when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, he helps direct us in everyday decisions. The freedom is not in being able to make the decision myself. The freedom is in I don't have to make the decision because I have a king and I have a Lord that is looking after me, that knows the best for me, and he can make the decision and he can direct me and guide me because he ordains the steps of the righteous. 
That's making Jesus the Lord of your life. See, Jesus didn't even live this way. Jesus gave us the best example. He didn't go where he wasn't told to go. He didn't say something if he wasn't told to say it. He didn't do anything unless he was told to do it by his Father. And he even said, I don't make these decisions. I don't live on my own uh, pretenses. I don't live initiating my own life, but the Holy Spirit guides me and directs me. He said that. There was one time, there was one time that uh, the, the, the people wanted him to stay in a certain area, wanted to stay in a certain region. They said, Jesus, don't go. We want you to stay here. And he said, no, I have to go because for this purpose, I was, I was sent here. If he tells me to go, I got to go. You know what most of us would have done? We said, oh, I'm so glad people love me. I'm so glad people want to be around me. I'm going to stick around here for a little bit because these people like me. These people treat me nice. These people take care of me. These people want to listen to everything I have to say. And then there were times, then there were times where he was told to go somewhere where he knew the people wanted to kill him. And you know what we would have done? I'm not going there. Those people hate me. Those people want to kill me. Those people want to take me out. They don't care about my life. They want to harm me. But what did Jesus do? I'm going. And his disciples even told him, you can't go into Jerusalem. You know they're looking for you. And he said, it's time. I've got to go into Jerusalem. There was one time he had a conversation with Peter, his best bud, his best pal, Peter, James, and John, the closest to Jesus of anybody. And he has this conversation with Peter, and, and he's telling them, look, I'm going to be offered up. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter said, it will not happen. His best bud. He said, don't do it. Don't do this thing. You know what most of us would have done? You're my best friend. You really care about me. Well, if you care so much about me, you, you, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm, I'm going to stick around with you. You're my best bud. But no, he looked him in the eye and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Offense means stumbling block. He says, you're trying to divert me off of my purpose. But no, there's only one person I listen to. There's only one person that makes those decisions. There's only one person that I follow, and that's my father. And if my father says it's time to go, and this is where he tells me to go, and this is what he tells me to say, and this is what he tells me to do, then I'm doing it. Guys, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2. How is Jesus still operating in the earth today? He didn't just come to die on a cross and rise again and go back to heaven and leave us alone. He came to start something in us. But there's a progressive work. There's a progressive work that Jesus has in all of us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Now watch. He lives in me. He lives in me. He lives inside of me. Jesus lives in me. But look what he says. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he saying? I don't want to just live in you. Now I want to live through you. I've come to live inside of you, so now you live your life for me. I saw a thing this past week. It said, he died for you so you could live for him. And there's so much truth in that. Jesus gave up his life so that you could give up your life for him. You don't want to hold on to your life, guys. I'm going to tell you right now, making Jesus the Lord of your life is the best decision you could ever make. Giving up your life for his life is the best decision you could ever make. Laying down your will, laying down your desires for his desire and purpose for you is the best decision you could ever make. Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you make him the Lord of your life? In closing, I want you to go over to Psalms chapter 23. Psalm 23. Guys, we have to understand this concept of making Jesus the Lord of our life. The Lord. It says we confess him as Lord. Just by a show of hands across this room, how many of you have confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life? You have made that agreement. Many of you, you remember the day. You remember the place. You remember who prayed with you. You remember who went down to the altar with you. You remember if you were watching someone on TV. Or if you just had a friend just ask you while you were hanging out one day. Or maybe it was your parents when you were young. And they led you in the sinner's prayer. Maybe you remember the pastor. Some people, they write those things down. You have the date, the time, the location. Some of you parents, you've you've already experienced that with your children. You've had the great opportunity to lead your child or have your child run to you after service and say, Mom, Dad, I, I made Jesus the Lord of my life today. I asked him to come into my heart. So guys, I want you to know today that even though you know the place, the date, time. It wasn't an event. It was a process that was beginning. It was a process that was beginning in you of making Jesus the Lord of my life, laying down my life, giving up my life. The thing about it, guys, at any time we can pick our life back up. This world pushes you to live your life for yourself. This nation pushes you to live your life for yourself. But God is saying, lay it down. 
because I've got a better life than you. Look what Psalms chapter 23, verse 1 says. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Guys, watch this. I shall not want. See, you thought making Jesus the Lord of your life meant you are always going to have to depend on him and always want things. I don't have anything. It all belongs to him, but I want this and I want that. But he says right here, the Lord, making Jesus the Lord of your life, puts you in a position where you do not want. Let's keep going. Verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me, not by troubling water, by the still water. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That means he shows me the right way to live so I don't have to keep messing up, so I don't have to keep stumbling and falling down. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How would you like to be in the midst of trial, in the midst of trouble, but you're not at fear? Why? You, the Lord, is with you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's that mean? It means he fights for you. He's giving you his rod. He's giving you his staff. He's not expecting you to do it on your own. He says, I will fight for you. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of In the presence of your enemies, he's prepared a table right there in the midst of you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Verse 6, surely, guys, watch. If you make him the Lord of your life, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will live. I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. The Lord. Guys, making Jesus your Lord. Yes, it means giving up everything you are and everything you have. Yes, it means that my life is now at the disposal of God Almighty. He is the Lord of my life. He chooses. He decides. But the things that he wants for you are far greater than anything you could accomplish on your own. The things that he has designed for you is far better than anything you could come up with yourself. Because Jesus is your Lord. Everything is taken care of. Everything is taken care of. Guys, I want you to see. I want you to accept. And I want you to live knowing that Jesus is your Lord. Father, I thank you this morning for every individual in this room, for every person that has confessed, confessed, made an agreement, made a binding pact to make you the Lord of our life. The choice to give up everything we are and everything we have for you. Father, we know that you want to take care of us. We know that you want to 
supply every need that we have. Father, if we make you our Lord, you said we shall not want. So, Father, we in turn give you our life. If we have not upheld the contract, if we have not upheld the confession that we made with our mouth, Father, I ask you to forgive us right now in the name of Jesus. And we know that you do. And we make a choice this day to make you the Lord. The Lord. The Lord of our life. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. Just by a show of hands. I'm not calling you up here. But you raising your hand is an opportunity to acknowledge he hasn't been Lord. I I, I said the prayer. I entered that agreement, but there's been some decisions I've made on my own. There's been some choices that I've that I haven't given him full direction. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see that. I see that. Yeah, I see that. Amen. This doesn't mean you've backslidden. This doesn't mean you're a sinner. This doesn't mean you're falling away. This simply is just an opportunity to reconnect with the confession that we mean, saying, Jesus is my Lord. I give you everything. I give you my finance. I give you my family. I give you my home. I give you my life. I give you my mind. I give you my soul. I give you my will. Now that we have come to the knowledge of what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. With every head bowed, I want you, every person in this room, every person in this room, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I confess you as the owner of my life. Everything I am, everything I have belongs to you. I will do what you do. I will say what you say. And I will go where you tell me to go. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning that we have had this opportunity to give you everything we are, everything we have. To make you the Lord of our lives. And we know that you'll take care of us. You'll take care of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know, there's something that happens when you own something. There's something that comes over you when you become the owner of it. Uh, You're more careful with it, right? You take care of it. You know, if you're borrowing someone's car, uh, you might not take care of it as well as you would take care of your own. You, you, You might not... Uh, 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 you know, go get it as you know, go get it washed as many times. May not get the oil changed done, but when it's yours, you're taking care of it. Ushers are moving now. If you need an offering envelope, just raise your hand; they'll get you one. But you understand what takes place when you own something because God owns you. You're a reflection of Him now. You understand? He owns us, so now He. Is a reflection of us. Sister Shirley, what's that? You could. Guys, he owns us. That means you reflect him. So he wants 
you to look good. Amen? He wants you to look your best. So he wants to take care of you. So we have an opportunity now to make Jesus the Lord of our life and the Lord of our money and our finances. And so we give to him. He's already spoken in his word that he's asked for 10%. 10%, that's easy. Amen? That means you get to keep 90. And then as the Lord directs you and the Lord leads you on top of that to be a blessing to the church and to be a blessing to the kingdom, we sow and we give because he's the Lord of our lives. Amen? So as you're filling those out, I want to pray with you. Why do we pray? Has anyone ever wondered, why do we pray over tithing and offering? Why do, why, why do we even bother? I mean, you're, you're, you're giving, you're doing the act. But we pray to bless it. We pray to bless it. There's always two things that I pray. Number one, I pray for you. I pray for you because there's a harvest that comes back to you when you put seed in the ground. See, farmers in here, they know what I'm talking about. They've been putting seed in the ground, and they're expecting a harvest off of that. Well, you're putting seed in the ground. There's no farmer that I know that wastes their time preparing the ground and putting seed in the ground with no expectation of receiving a harvest. When it's time to reap, it's time to reap. And we're looking for the harvest. So you need to be in expectation that the harvest is going to come. The second thing that we believe for is that the seed that you put in the ground blesses where it goes. We want to bless the ministry. We want to thank God that here at the church, every need is met. It's because of your giving, your sowing, your tithes and offerings that allow us to do what we do on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Amen? And so those are the things that we're praying for and believing for and blessing the tithe and the offering. So, Father, we agree right now in the name of Jesus that the seed that's being sown today, that it will meet the needs that it is called to meet. Father, we thank you that as we put this seed in the ground, we touch and agree that every need is met in every home, in every individual's life. There is nothing that we lack for in the name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you here at the ministry. Every need is met. Every bill is paid on time. We thank you that the seed allows us to accomplish the vision and the purpose for which you have called us here. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus, and we believe that it's coming to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ushers now beginning to move. Hallelujah. We have Easter coming up pretty soon, guys. Uh, just a couple more weeks. Uh, be inviting. Welcome everybody, every friend, every neighbor, every family member you can think of. Get them in here. We're excited about having Easter at Anchor Faith Church, uh, and we're going to have a great service that morning. Um, I also want to let you know, if you serve on our Elevate teams, Elevate is our supportive ministry. If you serve in any area, in any area, uh, we have a special night just for you. It's called Staff Rally. It's on March 28th. That's a Saturday night at 6 p.m. This is going to be a special service just for you. And we're honored to uh, bless you and serve you. We thank you and appreciate all that you do here at the church and the ministry week in and week out. We could not do it without you. That's the bottom line. Um, and so we want to have a night where we just get to honor you um, and thank you for your service and dedication and give you an opportunity just to hang out, fellowship. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a whole service. So uh, we'll have worship and um, a word and everything, but it's an opportunity for you just to be able to sit, relax, and enjoy a time together. Amen. Um, so uh, keep that in mind that we've got that coming up. Also, we have a mom squad coming up for all of our stay-at-home moms. 
Um, if, if you've got children at home, we have a mom squad coming up, I believe. It's on Friday the 27th, Friday morning the 27th. Um, they're going to be going to the Y, I believe, and doing gymnastics and all that that morning. So you need to see Pastor Crystal. Pastor Crystal has all the details. Uh, there's the form that you've got to have filled out, I believe. So make sure you catch Pastor Crystal next door on your way out and get all the information that you need. Amen. Well, we love y'all. We appreciate you. Good to see y'all this weekend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back here Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Amen.